Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Today I want to start another little mini-series leading up to Christmas. And I guess I just can't keep my hands off the wheel of doing another series. And, uh, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God wants to speak to us today and really just during this season. And, and, and all, you know, uh, laughs aside, I do pray, and we do pray for you, that, that this season doesn't become something that is just, um, you know, just traditional or just religious or, or just going through the motions. But we do understand fully what it is that God is reminding us why we celebrate this season. And, and I, I want to get into that today, to just really focus on God's gift, a hope and a future. And so what we're going to do is we're going to back up in our Christmas story because we usually start there in Luke 2, but I want to back up and look at Luke chapter 1. I want to start ahead of time uh, or, or what was taking place and kind of creating and building up to the wonderful gift that is our Lord and Savior Jesus. And but as we go through the story, there are, there are nuggets of truth. There, there are things that can really build us up if we'll, we'll tap into them. And I really believe that God has a message for us today. I want to begin with Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, a promise that the people of Israel held on to, even though it was challenged over the many generations of struggle and failure and forgiveness and restoration but all through time, God's promises are yes and amen. They're to be held on to. And, and, and as we dust them off, as we, as we pull them out again, as we, we rehearse them, we, we remember them, we memorize them, we, we speak them out again in prayer and confession, we feel the weight of the promise that goes through the generations. And they can be ours in their fullness. So let's read this. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Of course, many of the promises that are given to us are not conditional in the sense of God dangling them in front of us to, for us to have or not to have, but they can be accessed. In other words, they're always ours. They're ours. They're placed under the Christmas tree of our life. They're wrapped. They're there. They're ours. They're, our name is written on that gift, but it's our choice whether we open that gift. And then once you, you have that in mind, then it, it, you understand that our engaging, our, our accessing these gifts is so much based upon our own faith our own willingness to go and get what God has for us. So he has plans to bless us, a hope and a future. So today in Luke chapter 1, we have a story that details what I see as kind of a multi-leveled plan of God. For the gospel, or for the whole world, it lays the groundwork for the coming of John the Baptist, who is a preparatory prophet for the coming of the Messiah. He is the story before the story. He's the one who's laying the foundation. When we think of Christmas, we don't always think so much about John the Baptist, but really, he's very much a part of the Christmas story. And then for Zechariah, who we're going to read about here in just a second, it was a learning experience of joy kind of mixed with sorrow. And we're going to be able to relate to this guy. And I believe the Holy Spirit has something that will help you relate to him today and hopefully come out encouraged. And then 
for us, it's a wonderful lesson in the favor and the plans of God. God has a plan. He has a hope. He has a future. He has plans for us. Tapping into this is quite a mystery, but it is something that God does have planned for us, especially when you think of the whole Christmas story, how wonderfully intricate and planned out it is. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 20. If you have your notes, it's there, and you can read along. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and apparently they rotated in their, in their divisions who had responsibilities of the Levites, and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, I want a little side point here. Now, of course, the Levites, this was, this was their inheritance. This was what they were called and trained to do. Um, and the reason why they were chosen by lot is because there was always that little possibility that you might enter into the Holy of Holies, come before the Ark of the Covenant, and God show up, and there be something wrong with you as the priest, or that there be a wrong motive, or in their minds, just the, the dreadful presence of God, you know, and they wore bells on their, their robe so that they knew you were still alive in there. So if the presence of God broke out against that priest, they actually had a cord that was attached to them so they could pull them back out. So by lot, it wasn't always, I mean, there was kind of that mixed feeling of the glory of the opportunity, but always kind of the bit of a dread of going into that place and quite possibly never coming back out again alive. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So there he is in the presence of God just doing what he had done over the many years. And who knows how many times he's done it because of the lot and because of the possibilities of actually him doing this. There he is standing right at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, the angel that is, he was startled and was gripped with fear, as many of us would be too. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, so the Nazarite, some of what of a Nazarite vow, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, which we find out later. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent. 
and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So this is a very powerful experience. And if we look at this, and again, I want to look at this from three different perspectives this morning so that we can be encouraged. We We can gain some wisdom from this. So when it comes to God's plans and purposes for us, that we can be positioned in such a way as we really can gain what God is trying to give us. So let's take it apart here. First of all, God did not forget. He did not forget his promise to save the world. This whole thing that is happening here is an amazing culmination that began in the very Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. God promised to fix the mess. And so thus, this begins with the, this, 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 this prophet who's going to lay the foundation for the Son of God to come. And we're going we're to talk about that next week as we, as we get closer to Christmas. He's laying the very foundation of the most wonderful promise of God. So God did not forget. It wasn't like God was going through his stack of papers one day and just saying, I better go check through all my promises, just make sure I'm up to speed on everything. Oh, wow, save the world. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that one. I guess we'll go ahead and bring this forward now. No, 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 no. This was a promise that God had made, and God knew exactly when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, every bit of it, to the most uh, detailed part. And so this is a fulfillment phase. This This is a phase of the promise that is now beginning in John the Baptist, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. They are caught up in this. But what is beautiful is that God not only is making... Is, is, is fulfilling a promise for really the, everyone who lived at that time and everybody who would be able to see that, you know, the three wise men the, or however many there were, you know, Mary and Joseph and all the people that delighted in the gift and, of course, seeing the, the, the life of the many people that would be healed through the ministry of Jesus, not only all those people, but for Zechariah and Elizabeth too. They had a part to play. There was a promise that was going to be fulfilled for them as well. And so he says right there, God has not forgotten you. He's heard your prayers, Zechariah. He knows what your heart is. He knows what you're crying out. And what's so amazing about this is that God could have just made them, you know, allowed them, her to get pregnant any time in her life. He could have done this at any given time, but you notice the power of what God does here. God answers our prayers but he's got a purpose for our fulfillment, our our hope and future that's tied into the world's hope and future. And that's something for us to catch because often we tend to get very, you know, we we think, we, we live in our own little world. We've got our own little universe. We think in terms of my promise is just my promise that I live in this, this concept of, you know, I, he's got a hope in the future for me, but it's my own little universe. And it doesn't cross over to anybody else's universe. And so we've got these hopes and dreams. And we say, I want a, be- a good marriage. I want to be able to have finances. I want to be able to have my kids to grow up and call me blessed. I want all these wonderful things that I see in the Bible, but we don't see any overlap. We don't see that God wants to do all of that in us for even a greater purpose. And you see that in this story so clearly. And so if you break it down, it is so cool in my mind that God has a promise for, for the world, 
The people living in darkness have seen a great light, as the story says. But Elizabeth and Zechariah both have a yearning heart for something that's very intimate, so personal, something that I bet you that they haven't even really discussed anymore. It's one of those dreams that's just died. Something that has just been tabled. It's almost like it's the elephant in the room. It's something that, that every morning as they ate breakfast and they talked together would be that little bit of pain. Zechariah, see in the eye of Elizabeth that, that, that pain that she could never get past. That little struggle. It's one that Andrew and I do understand well. Six years not being able to have children in the beginning. We didn't think we ever would. It was something that was very a, a huge disappointment. And we had to embrace it. And it was amazing that when we did come to that place of embracing it, that God gave us our firstborn, Meredith. I'm pretty glad she's around, aren't you? Yeah. So he did not forget about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he does not forget about us either. This whole story has as much to do with you and I, you know, when it comes to our daily lives as it does anybody, the people living in darkness. Elizabeth and Zechariah in the, in the promise they're going to experience here in just a bit, we're going to read about it. But you and, you and me, we're sitting in this, in this room right now, and yet the rippling effect of the promise of God is ours to have. That God does see you. He sees you right now. He knows your heart. He knows your dreams. He knows your hopes. He knows because he's got a hope and a future for you. You know, everybody can have just a hope. And that's just called survival. I hate to use the word survival when it comes to preaching. And I have used it in the past. But as I've grown older, I, older I've realized, you know what? No, we don't just need to hold on and survive. We need a what? We need a future. We need to know that God's promises are going to hold me today, but they're going to hold me tomorrow. And they're going to hold me the day after that. They're going to hold me a year from now. They're going to hold me when I hit those times of age and struggle or, or the potential sickness and disappointments. Is God going to be there? Does God have a future for me there too? He absolutely does. God does not forget. Number two, God's plans are intricate. They take time. They take faith. They take obedience. And they take patience. And that would make sense to a God who knows all things. You know, too many of us have a God, a God who is too small. And I think theology, I was just discussing this with a young man recently. I said, you know, theology, people ignore theology. They tend to kind of say, well, let's just leave that for the theologians. Let's just let them, you know, deal with that. But to me, theology, your theology is so critical to the, your soteriology. And that is how you walk in faith. That is how you live this thing out. And so the foundation of who God is is critical. Absolutely critical. What does God know and when did he know it? God knows all things and he's always known it. And that needs to invade your value system. That doesn't just need to be a factoid. That needs to be something that you live. It needs to be a value. And a, and a value, see, knowledge is one thing that we tap into every once in a while, but it doesn't necessarily affect our behavior. But a value affects everything we do. 
a value just comes out of it. It's instinctive. And that's where theology needs to go. Theology needs to go from just being knowledge to instinctive. And that's how we tap into a hope in the future, my friends. When you see that God knows you intimately and you live and walk in that intimacy, you walk in that understanding that he knows you fully, inside and out. And there's no time when God forgets you. There's no time that God has got you out of his his intricate plans. No, but you are all in it. He's got you all in there. Why would he ever say that he's got a hope and a future for us if he doesn't have one for you? Oh, wow, I didn't notice you. How'd you get in the world? You know, I was going through and just pumping out a whole generation there in the 21st century. I I didn't realize you came along. It's not it. Your God is too small. He's much bigger than you can ever imagine. And you're right smack dab in the middle of every piece of it. He hasn't forgot his promise. And these plans are so intricate. Oh, and I'll tell you, you know, look. You know, don't try to figure it out. (laughs) Let me just tell you, don't try to figure it out. But remember, it does take this. It does take time. Because this is a God who is so amazingly intricate. It's going to take time to work his plans out. It's going to take faith. It's going to mean putting your hope and faith in him and, and, and just resting in that. And it's going to take obedience from time to time. In our story, what we find is Zechariah is challenged, isn't he? Because God is in the midst of changing the world. God is saying, I'm finally bringing forth my hope and future for the world. And now, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going, I, I haven't forgotten you either, and i got a hope and a future for you, and you're, in the, you're, you're going to be a part of my master plan. And what's interesting is that we find Zechariah not prepared. We find Zechariah in a place where we are, so many of us are found. And that is, number one, surprised. Number two, a little doubtful. My gosh, the man had an angel standing in front of him. And, and, and not just an angel, Gabriel, one of the archangels, okay? There's only two that I know of in Scripture, Michael and Gabriel. And these, these are two head sheds. So Gabriel's been sent to speak. And, and there he is. And so out of his mouth comes a value system. What is in there is what comes out. How do I know these things are going to happen? I mean, and Gabriel, of course, as an angel, doesn't even blink. Like, all right, human. I live in the presence of God where I understand that all things are wrapped up in his hand. From from Gabriel's perspective, he's seen the end from the beginning, the alpha and the omega. He saw the beginning let there be light, and he sees, he sees prophetically all of this being wrapped up in God's kingdom fully restored. New heaven, new earth, the whole thing. He's just a little blip on the map, and he's going, who are you to question? And so something takes place there that we'll get into. But it takes obedience. It can take some patience. There are many promises in the New Testament, my folks, my friends, and they're just absolutely just full of them. And they're yours, they're mine. By ignoring them, we don't have access to them. 
by not believing them, we almost thumb our nose at God. Thumb. We thumb our nose at God to say, well, they're true for some, but not necessarily for me. And it's, I, I'm not trying to rebuke us. I'm just trying to, to show us, my friends, that God has a hope in the future. So God has said, I got a hope in the future for you, and yet we sit off in a place of saying, well, how do I know? How am I going to know when these things happen? I don't even know if you've even got a thing planned for me. And, and so that's where I really want to encourage you. I really want to challenge you lovingly to say, God does have a hope and a, hope and a future for you. Do, are you on that track? Are you seeking that? Do you understand? Are you being patient? Are you following? Are you stepping in that direction? Are you pushing the envelope to find out what that is for you in this life? It might very well come through areas of disappointment. And in this case, that's exactly what happens. Thirdly, God's purposes are always tied to his master plan. Oh, that, that's, that's good theology. To us, they seem individual and special, but in the grand scheme of things, God is able to make us feel special while fulfilling his master plan too. So it's not to say that we all just are part of this collective, this this uh, supernatural collective where we're all supposed to feel like 1984 in the Christian world. We're all just, Jesus, zombies for Jesus. No. That's the beauty of this. Is it can be very individual. It can be very beautiful and individual to you, but yet it's still tied into the master plan. It's still, God can still use who you are, your gifts, your uniqueness, your combination of, of who you are, all jumbled up and then poured out in this beautiful concoction of the creativity of God. And it still have an intricate, powerful effect in what he's doing on the earth. We see this with Zechariah for sure. Because God is giving Zechariah a dream fulfilled in a little baby boy. And so they get the chance. Zechariah, for the first time, in his, in, as an older man, he's going to have this little boy jumping on his big old you know, Levite belly. He's being able to laugh. He's going to hold him. He's going to be able to smell the baby smell. He's going to be able to hold him. He's going to be able to sit down with him and begin to speak into him for the first time. This man who's been loaded with, with wisdom, with grace, because he's been obedient to the Father, he's actually going to, one of his yearning hearts was be able to pour that into his, his, his legacy, his progeny. A hope fulfilled. A dream of every father. Be able to download that. Give it to the next generation. So in this story, you could almost just focus on that, but that's the beauty of why I love the way God has done this. It's so, so that we can see, the, we can read between the lines that God is so very, it didn't just God just say, okay, who am I going to pick? Zachariah and Elizabeth. We could have used a younger couple, don't you think? I mean, maybe he could have found a woman that has already had like six or seven. And that way it wouldn't have been a problem. Mom and dad, who are very gifted and qualified to carry up a baby. And to be somewhat disassociated when the time came when John the Baptist kind of lost, lost his ever-living mind for the kingdom. And became his Nazarite and started wearing furs and eating locusts and honey. He didn't do that. 
God found someone who needed a promise fulfilled too. And we're waiting patiently for their hope and future. Patiently. And it tells us in the story that they were faithful. Even in the midst of all that disappointment, they were faithful. Number four, God's ways are not our ways. That's what we learn in this story. What seemed like a random selection from his division, God's play, plan was in it all along. Remember, it was the casting of the lots? Right in the story, there is randomness just inserted to make, it's almost a kind of a, not a mockery, I don't, I don't because God would never do that, but God's little, 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 uh, little joke he's playing on humans to say, well, we're going to cast the lot. Of course, the Jews knew that the lot was, the cast was in the hands of the Lord. That was something very well known, which is why they did it. But at the same time, I think we, when we read that story, and he just, you know, let's see where it lands. Seems so random. Truth is, it was in the plan and the purpose of God from the very beginning of time, wrapped up in the heart and the mind of God. Hope, future, hope, future being played out in just a snapshot and just the great camera of, of, of history being focused in on one couple, and we're just seeing the how, it, it, you know, and you could just see it say, well, that's just them. No, 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 this is a template, my friends, of what God wants to do in our lives every single day in, in different levels, in different ways, and in, in, in intricate plans of, of coming through us. I'm convinced of it. That's why he did it this way, so that we'd catch that. God drives along our hope and future even when it appears very random. Very random. You know, especially when you've had bad things happen to you, like I've experienced. Vicki, I'll tell you, my time in Greenville was actually a very dark time in my life. And the people here at Valley have heard it many times. It had its ups and downs, but to be honest with you, I got saved in Greenville, Michigan. Maple Street. I got down on my knees in that house on Maple Street and gave my life to Christ there. That's where it happened. And I drove everybody nuts in my junior American history class. I, I, and a teacher, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't throw me out because I kept on leaning over and saying, you're going to hell. I'm sorry, but if you, do you know Jesus? What, what are you talking about, Moose? going to hell. You need Jesus. I stood up. On the, that was the very school I went to, and I stood up on the, bleacher, or the, uh, the benches in the locker room and said, guys, I mean, it's just amazing. Thanks for being here today. I don't think that was random. Ding. Oh, anyway. Uh, he drives along our hope and future, even when it appears very random. It's, this is hard to grasp and accept sometimes. But can I just encourage you? Stop trying to figure God out. There is no algorithm to figure out God. You can go with your computers. You can punch all the information. Try to figure out God. You'll never do it. His, his plans and hope, when, when we try to figure it out, I mean, I've spent most of my life trying to do that. doesn't work. And so don't do it. That's all I can say is don't do it. Just allow yourself to get caught up in the plans and the purposes of God. All you really have to do is stick your sail up and just say, God, I belong to you. 
I don't know why you're doing this, how this is doing it, and why and what time you're doing it. I don't know why. Zachariah, in his heart, could, I'm sure many mornings when he was praying on his knees, is like, God, I don't know why you're leaving me childless. To be honest with you, God, this is a bit of a humbling. I'm, I'm humiliated, to be honest with you, God. I'm a good Jewish man. I should have eight, ten children. I should have a legacy. This is what I should have. And I'm embarrassed for my wife. The Bible tells us that it was Elizabeth. And so, Zechariah, you know, this, this is affecting his manhood. This is affecting who he is as a Jew. This is affecting him as a Levite. There must have been those who said, hey, here comes Zechariah. Hey, Zechariah. And what does everybody assume? Must have been something he did wrong. Must have been some evil in his life. Must have been some deep curse going all the way back to Aaron himself. Little, little, little crack in the woodwork that just ended up in his, in his uh, shelf, his life. But the Bible reminds us that that was not so. He was a man of character. He was a man of wisdom. He was a man of faithfulness. But why was God punishing him like this? Why was God allowing these bad things to happen to a good man? We don't know, except good things come to those who wait and don't bail out on him. He could have just said, you know what, I don't want to be in the, in the lot anymore. Why, Zechariah? Because, I mean, guys, isn't it clear? Elizabeth and I can't have children. Isn't it obvious that we're not blessed? Isn't it obvious we don't have the favor of God on our lives? So look, don't put us in there. As a matter of fact, you know, to be honest with you, that's, I, I don't want to get in there and God see me as an unclean person and burn me up. I don't want you pulling my charred body out of there. He could have done that, but he didn't. Because I believe that deep down, Zechariah was still holding on to a promise. He was still faithful. Number five, God works through our doubts and our fears. Zechariah suffered with unbelief because, maybe because deep down there was a wound of doubt that God would never really use him beyond what was expected of him. I think he settled. I think he settled into it. I think, I think Zechariah knew enough of the goodness of God, he got only so far. And that, my friends, is where I think a lot of Christians end up. In other words, they understand that God is loving and good. They just don't see that he's loving and good for you, for me. He's a God of, the, he's a God of goodness to everybody else. And that's not bad. Because you can settle in to just say, well, at least he's good. At least he's giving. At least, at least he's Santa Claus to everybody else. I don't know why I'm not getting mine. I believe that he is a God of the hope in the future, but somewhere in line, I... And you know what? That is such a, perva a pervasive thought that, I mean, I could do a whole series on that alone. I think you all know exactly what I'm talking about because we all live there at some point in our lives. Absolutely we do. And Zechariah is a, is a reminder of a man who is so incredibly full of character, yet he's got a deep wound of disappointment inside there that has began, and, and disappointment will eventually come to the surface, even if we're going through the motions of doing all that which is righteous and going to church and being faithful and, and doing the children's ministry and working in the nursery and being a small group leader and being on the worship team and going to the outreaches and doing all the stuff. 
But that disappointment in there eventually is going to come to the surface, and that is by design, by the way. God will bring it out. Because it's often those disappointments, those broken, those questioning of the will of God that are the very thing that are holding us back. So in Zachariah's case, he gets his visitation. His time has come. It's, it's, the, the, the meter has run out. The, the, the timer went ding, and the angel showed up, and he comes to Zachariah and says, Zach, you know, you're favored. You've been obedient. God has chosen you. Buddy, you, are, you were in the book from the beginning. You've been selected from all of time. It is, your time has come, and now God is going to bring a great miracle through you and Elizabeth. And he goes, well, how can I be sure of this? If he was on a game show, he lost right there. And Gabriel, of course, without a blink, just says, you know what? It's going to happen. And because you're, you're looking for a sign, you're looking for a sign. Hey, Michael, he was looking for a sign. Well, let's give him one. All right, I'm going to give you one. You're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born. So every day when you can't, words don't come out of your mouth, you'll be reminded about this unbelief, mixed with joy. I, I just think that's amazing because it would not have been a, a, a serious thing to suffer knowing that as he watches his dear little Elizabeth getting bigger every day, watching that little belly come out. He can't rejoice in it. I mean, he can, but he can't tell her. All he can do is just touch that belly all he can do is just, it's a quiet joy on the inside, but he's always reminded of that. And you know what? We're supposed to catch that. See, doubt and unbelief, although they do not interrupt God's hope and future for us, they can put us in a place where maybe it delays it. I don't know. I don't even know how to speak to that, except to say sometimes, excuse me, it can make the journey a little less joyful. Our experience, what, we're, what we kind of learn from this is when our moment comes and it's been offered to us and, and it comes through the gate and, it, and it, it comes right up against our disappointment and it's at that moment that God, by the Holy Spirit or through the word of God or, or maybe my, a, a pastor coming to you or there being some kind of a moment where it's just like, okay, you're in the game and you've been prepared all this life. It, that's not the time to shrink back. That's not the time to say, well, how can I be sure of this? All I can hear is, mm, tell him what he didn't win, Johnny. And so he's lovingly rebuked, and he experiences a little discipline. Thank God it wasn't, it wasn't death. Thank God it wasn't, you know, so many things. But it was just kind of a, a quietness, the shutting down of his tongue. And I don't want to push the text too far to try to go into allegory on that particular point except to just look at that and say, you know what, doubt can really mess up the journey. Can really mess up the journey. Our lesson is, you know, for the world, we know that doubt immediately came with the precious gift of Jesus. I mean, they see him doing miracles. Hands growing, eyes seeing, demons coming out, and yet there were still those who said, I don't know. That's foolishness. And the heart that is open to God or to be reminded to embrace. God works through our doubts and our fears. See, in that sense, there's also the perspective 
of God knowing, okay, Zechariah, I know that there was disappointment in you, and we're going to get this out now. Because, and at the end of this, I can guarantee you Zechariah, man, went from a tight religious guy to, hey, man, whatever God wants to do, let him do it. I bet his theology went from, you know, I, hate, I mean, I'm not even going to use any analogies when it comes to churches and all that. It wouldn't be fair. But, but just going from an easy going, letting his hair down to, man, when the Holy Spirit wants to do it, I'm with him. I can see that about Zechariah. Because that unbelief is going to be confronted. Number six, God's plans most certainly bring our true character right to the surface as we embrace his grace. See, for Zechariah, his quiet hopelessness and doubt had grown over many years of disappointment from being childless. And that would need to be healed before he could raise the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, preparing a people for the coming of the Lord. How could a man who was suffering with a value system, how could he communicate to the one, the very one, that he was going to be bringing forth the Son of God, that, his, that, that he was going to take a Nazarite vow. How could he, with any kind of conviction, if he's still struggling with a root of doubt inside him, do you see the master, mastery of this? God knew that Zechariah was going to doubt that right on the spot and just said, okay, I'm going to touch it. You're going to be quiet for a while. And in your quietness, Zechariah, through your pain, we're going to deal with this doubt. I'm going to pull it out day by day. Can you imagine how many times he tried to speak it but couldn't and went back to God? Because you know what? You can speak to God in your head. You don't have to actually speak words. You don't have to have a voice to speak to the heavenly God through your spirit. And that's what was going on. That's what was happening inside this man. And so God reached inside out in there and pulled out that doubt. So that when that little baby did come, he can enjoy that little baby. He can use that bassy voice from Zechariah and speak into his life. He can tell him, let me tell you what God has done. You know, John, come here. Little John, come. Let me tell you about who God is. Let me tell you. And do it with such conviction. And do it with such passion. And do it with some life. Because it wasn't just going in and out of the temple every, every year and get potentially pulled out. It wasn't all just faithfulness and religion and tradition. It was I have seen the face of God. I have seen Gabriel, John. You know how hearts of fathers can pass on something that is so real. I'm going to tell you what took place in Zechariah was partially responsible for what we see in John. How did he know that God was so real and how he would be driven out there to bring forth? How did he recognize Jesus when he came down over the bluff and he looked at him and said, there is the Son of God. You know that, Zechariah. Zechariah. Because he had seen the angel. He knew the spirit. He dealt with his doubt. He embraced his own hope and future, which he long thought would never happen. For the world, Zechariah's struggle to embrace God is reminiscent of the constant doubt of the Bible's simple message of Jesus' love and forgiveness. How many people will be shocked to find out that their rejection of such a wonderful gift was so simple to accept and receive? For us, Zachariah's doubt is a painful reminder of our own doubts. 
with which we struggle, when we wander, where our hope and our future are to be revealed. Jeremiah reminds us that this hope is to be given to us and to those who are looking for it. He wants to get to you. He wants to, rem- he wants to give you a baby. No, oh, young ladies, just hang on there. He wants to bring a baby. Not a, not a little baby, child, and it might be that. In my case, he gave me five of them, and I'm pretty happy about that. But he might want to bring forth a vision through your life. There's yet to be a baby born for some of you. And you've been waiting. When is he going to come? When is it going to come? When is it going to be birthed through you? You've been waiting. And God says he wants to give it to you. So be encouraged, my friends. God has a hope and a future for you. Regardless of what you've experienced, what your disappointments are, you can tap into the providential plans that God has for you. It's a promise. It's yes and amen. Hang in there. Don't doubt him. How can, how can we ever do that when we see how God time and time again comes to the ones who we would never script in this great story, and yet he chooses them? He can work around our character flaws and doubts. That's another real wonderful thing. You know what? God chose him anyway, even because of that doubt. We're going to find in this story that he chooses a little gal, sweet little girl, to bring forth a part of his plan. It's totally different than Zechariah. We'll get to that next time. God wants to bring forth a baby of promise within you. Birthing something world-changing should be at the very heart of every believer whether it'll be a John the Baptist or a disciple who faithfully serves, changing the world quietly but powerfully. I really believe, I really believe this. I see it in Scripture. It's it's what's been driving much of my life. And so I want to encourage you today. Don't doubt God's plan for love and hope and to work through your disappointments. As a matter of fact, it's often the disappointments that God will glorify himself the most. Amen.